Hey everyone, it's Michelle here. Welcome to the Just Michelle Talking Podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we get to keep each other company for a while. Whether you are working, walking, playing, whatever, I'm grateful to be a part of your life and I'm glad that you choose to spend some time listening to me. So thanks for that. I wanted to chat about a topic that's been on my mind this week and it's been on my mind for kind of a funny reason, but the gist of it is that I want to talk about ignorance versus faith. Are they the same thing? Uh, Are they not the same thing? And we're going to get into that in a minute, but I thought I'd give you a little background as to why this has been on my mind this week. So in the last kind of 24 or 36 hours, I've had a whole lot of crazy things happen. Some good, some bad, some frustrating, some really wonderful. It's just been a very um, full, let's say, 24 hours with a lot of good news and bad news and stuff. And unfortunately, one of the pieces of news that I got is that I, I was meant to be reunited with my partner in about a month or so. And we've since found out that's not going to happen due to travel restrictions globally. And in the end, I won't see him for yet another two months, which means that we will have spent nearly an entire year apart. And I don't want to go into that in full detail other than to say it completely sucks. Like it super, super sucks. And whenever something happens or has happened this year, I should say, with him and I along those kind of same lines. Oh, by the way, COVID happened. You can't get together the million of times you planned. He always reminds me that my word of the year or my phrase of the year that I chose this year is patience and faith, or it actually comes from a Spanish phrase my sister uses all the time, paciencia y fe. And my word of the year is something that I have been doing for a really, really long time. And possibly I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but the gist of it is that I don't think New Year's resolutions are a good idea. I think they're just a completely bullshit idea, basically like, oh, I'm going to lose 20 kilos. And on day three, you're like stuffing your face with the leftover Toblerone. It's just lame. Like, why do people do that? And also, can I just say, why do you have to wait till January 1st to change your life? Like, if you want to change your life, you know, March 17th, October 27th, you know, July 3, they all work the same. You can literally change your life whenever you want to. That's called being in control of your life. And you don't really need to wait until New Year's resolutions. I just, I don't, I don't get those, right? I think they're lame and I don't get them. So many years ago, I read about Christine Kane, who's, I think she's a business coach, technically used to be a musician doing this thing called the word of the year. And the idea is that rather than pick a resolution, you kind of pick a theme for your year. And that theme acts as kind of like your rudder or your guiding light for the year. And you just kind of, yeah, you just kind of live your life through that lens. And so like when you're making decisions and stuff, you think about the like, you know, does this meet my word of the year? Or maybe it's something that you you want to have more of, in my case, patience and faith. So it's, it's kind of like your thematic thing. And what I do is I pick my word of the year. It takes me, um, sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it takes a bit of time. And then I usually put that phone as my screensaver. I put that phone, I put that word or that phrase as the screensaver on my phone so that every time I open my phone, which is 20, times a day, I'm reminded of that. And I try to live my life by that principle or theme. I'm going to be straight up and say some years I can forget what the word is. <laughs> and somewhere in like March, I'm like, oh yeah, what was my word this year? And other years it actually really does become part of almost my, my daily life. And this year through no fault of my own, that's actually been true. So patience and faith have become a really big part of my life because I've had to be immeasurably patient with the situation that's happening globally. And I've had to have just a huge amount of faith that everything is going to turn out all right. And 
I think when I think about it now, I picked it in part also because I had a really anxious year last year. And I think faith or believing that everything's going to be okay often can help kind of calm that down a little bit. And so I wanted to really teach myself to be more patient, not only with other people, but with myself and with the way life works. And just to have faith that everything is going in the direction that it, that it should be. And it eventually is going to get to where it needs to be. So he reminded me, as he often likes to do when these things happen, that my phrase of the year was patience and faith. And he then likes to say, like, kind of ironically, like, Michelle, seriously, you picked the worst ever, because, <laughs> worst ever word of the year, because you're requiring, like, way more patience and faith than you ever could have predicted. And he's like, why couldn't you have picked a word that's like, I don't know, great sex or tons of money or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, maybe that needs to be next year's word of the year because this year's word of the year, little bit of an epic fail or an epic success, actually, depending on how you look at it. Because truly, I have had to learn the skills of patience and faith far, far, far more than I actually wanted to. So maybe, maybe these are actually like massively successful phrase of the year, but for sure next year is going to be like famous podcasting billionaire or something to that effect. I don't know. Woman who never gains weight. I don't know. It's going to be something. To give you an example, by the way, in previous years, I had, um, I've had the, the year before this one, I used the word Phoenix because that was the year I changed careers. I went through a divorce. I had this like massive crash and burn of my life, which then rose up from the ashes like the Phoenix. I've used words like progress. I've used words like learning. I've used words like... Um, Oh gosh, all, all kinds of things. And I write them down and I generally write down the reason why I choose that word of the year, because I think it's really important to have an understanding, you know, back in way in March, when you forget that you had this word at all, I like to actually just remember, why did I pick this again? Oh, yeah. Okay, that was a good reason. And sometimes the play on words, sometimes it has meaning only to me, whatever. Anyway, patience and faith. So this kind of reminded me a little bit um, of this story of whether or not ignorance and faith are the same thing. And so based on my word of the year, paciencia y fe, I thought I'd share with you all this story. So when, wait, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. One of the other reasons this came to mind, by the way, is so, so my partner and I this week got this really crappy news that, you know, it's going to take another couple of months before we can get back together. And that's really hard on both of us. And while I'm over here with my patience and faith, he is somebody who is a fatalist, which I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned before, meaning he believes there is a grand plan that is, is designed by somebody else, the energy of the universe, etc., and that everything that, that, that essentially we don't have free will. Now, that is a topic that we can discuss from here until eternity, but at the end of the day, I believe in free will or at least some portion of free will and he doesn't believe in free will at all. So it's also particularly funny because I'm like, how do you, like, why are you upset about us being delayed two months? Don't you just believe this is the plan? And he very smartly said to me, well, just because I believe it is the plan doesn't mean I don't think the plan sucks <laughs> and I'm upset about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe you don't believe in free will, but emotion still comes into it. So there you go. Okay, so this made me start to think about this, right? Free will, you know, is there a grand plan? Ignorance and faith, this kind of stuff has all been kind of floating around in my head. So here goes the story. Finally, no more backtracking. 
So when I owned my cake business, I had this client who I really loved actually, whose sons had birthdays very close. I think they were like a week apart. And often she would have a shared birthday party for them between those two dates, right? Because they were so close. And she'd order one really amazing cake for the two of them. Of course, it was amazing because I was making it, but that's a whole other story. So I'm not so modest, right? One year she came for her design appointment. And as soon as she sat down, she was like, Michelle, I'm really sorry. I'm actually leaving this really late. And that's, you know, I normally wouldn't do that. And I was like, oh no, like it's fine, you know, like life happens. But she went on to explain that the reason she had left it late is because she was recovering from breast cancer. And that treatment meant that she was just not 100% on the ball with organizing things for her boy's birthday. And when I saw her, she was currently in remission from the breast cancer, but she was just kind of finding it a little challenging to get back into the swing of a busy life of work and of motherhood and that stuff. Now, I'm not not really sure why I did this, but I'm kind of nosy. So let's call it, I was nosy. I asked her a lot of questions about her experience with, with cancer. And she was really honest with me and like very willing to talk about it all. And as it happens, having that conversation with her and asking those questions really changed a lot for me. So she told me that the story was that she discovered a lump in her breast when she was on vacation with her family. It's like something about she was on a cruise ship and they went swimming. And when she came back and she was getting out of her bathing suit, she noticed it or whatever. So she told me that she discovered that lump while she was on vacation and something inside of her just knew it wasn't going to be good news. So when they got home, she discovered that it was in fact cancerous and she started treatment almost immediately. And the whole time she's telling me the story, there's like no sadness there. She's like smiling and she's upbeat and she's positive. It's like as though she's telling me a story about like going to Disneyland. It's like a very normal, cheerful story situation. Now, I don't expect that people going through this are necessarily like depressed and negative and like, woe is me. I don't expect that. But her totally unfailing sunny outlook was really remarkable and so I asked her about it right because this is a mom of two young kids like surely isn't there like some freak out there but she told me that at no time in this experience not finding the lump not getting diagnosed not the treatment did she assume anything other than total recovery and survival she never worried about dying She never worried about the treatment not working, never thought about leaving her kids behind or really any of those scary or negative things that I I imagine like you might be thinking in this situation, right? I was astounded at this, but according to her, it just like never occurred to her to think about this stuff. She, She seriously was like, it never occurred to me that there was any other option other than full recovery. She was like, oh, yeah, it's like basically like, oh, I've got this thing. I'll get some treatment. It'll be better. I'll be good. It's like I find this astounding, right? She went on to say that the, the only time she ever thought about negative things or even kind of entertained the idea of worrying a little bit was when other people brought that up to her as an option. She never asked her oncologist for survival rights. She never considered or did research on alternative treatment options. And she asked for very little, if as much as, as little as they would give her detail about her condition. I have to say that this 
astounded me beyond all belief because I was like, if somebody told me that I had a condition of any kind, I would be like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my children? Oh my God, I better like rewrite my will. Like I would be freaked out basically. And she just didn't. She just assumed from the beginning. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to solve this. I'll get better treatment. Eh, Cool. Like just didn't entertain the idea like literally she used the words like it didn't occur to me to think i wouldn't be fine so her story stayed with me for a long time even now right like probably 10 years after it happened and i've often wondered like was she just ignorant of the realities of having breast cancer like had nobody ever told her this was something lots of people don't survive from right Or was it a case that her faith in her survival was so strong that it crowded out any negative thought? And that made me start to think, does simply not knowing make us stronger? Does ignorance somehow make us stronger at at survival or emotionally survival or whatever? Like, which of these is better? Ignorance, I don't know this can kill me, or faith, I just know it won't kill me. Like, are those the same thing? Knowing it won't kill you, is that the same thing as not knowing it might? Like, this, this whole concept just makes my mind, like, bend a little bit. Admittedly, this is because I'm someone who wants to know everything about everything, like, irritatingly so. So I research the heck out of stuff. I ask lots of other people for their opinions. I like Google like a woman on a mission. And I kind of want to know as many details as possible. Now you will know from my podcast episode about making decisions, it's not like I'm procrastinating, right? It's not like I'm, I'm, the decision making is where I'm doing tons of research necessarily, although sometimes that's true. It's like if I have a fact and I'm like, really? And I end up down these rabbit holes of needing to know all the stuffs, right? The best example I have of that is when my babies, when I, when I knew it was having triplets, I insisted, oh my God, this is embarrassing. I insisted on going to the hospital where they were going to be born and doing, doing a tour of the neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU, because I wanted to know if I was going to be there with those kids. I wanted to know what it looked like and what it felt like and what it was like to be there. And I insisted on touring it, which nobody was happy with, but I just insisted and insisted and and we ended up um, going and taking a tour of it. Sorry, I'm sidebarring here, but this is relevant eventually. And I remember getting out of there and being so, so sad at what I had seen, like just these tiny little babies and these, you know, it wasn't sad, like there wasn't sad people in there, but it felt like you know, these people are dealing with life and death every day, right? And it just felt so overwhelming and so sad. And I remember walking out of there and being really emotional and really hugely protective of the babies I was carrying and saying to my husband, that was just so sad and so awful. And oh my God, that was so shocking. And he had a completely different opinion. And he's like, what are you talking about? That's the happiest, most hopeful place I've ever seen. And I'm like, what? And he's like, Michelle, every baby in there is a survivor, Every baby you saw in there is still alive and is fighting every day and has a room full of people and thousands of machines and medications and whatever. And every single person in there is a survival, working towards survival and continued strength. And that's the most helpful, like hopeful, amazing place I've ever seen. 
that was a really interesting perspective as well. And that's always stuck with me that he said that it's not that that's sad because those kids are sick. That's miraculous because those kids are alive. So that was a, a truly amazing experience. So anyhow, I am one of those people who like, you know, researches whatever right and i want to know the details and i want to know the bad details by the way i don't just want to know the survival rate i want to know like the death rate as well and i'm there like figuring it all out right and it's not that knowing changes my choices or changes the path but i want to know what the deal is because i believe that knowledge is power or at least at least for me knowledge is emotional power and yet here was this woman who chose to remain blissfully ignorant of the details of her situation and the end result is a happy woman on the road to good health. Now, look, of course, the outcome could have been different here and she could be ignorant and no longer with us. But there really is a part of me that believes her ignorance is what guaranteed her health or at least helped her health along, right? Because if she had spent her energy and her time on negative thinking, right, worrying about the outcomes of things and generally hoping for the best but expecting the worst, would it have been different? Is, is that really the best way to spend our lives, right? Hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. I really, I really wonder. And if you, like me, even vaguely believe that there is a mind-body connection, then you can really see how her mental state of accepting nothing less than full recovery would have had an impact on her physical well-being. And this is where, for me, the question about ignorance versus faith Maybe it isn't a question. Maybe they're, they're, they kind of go together, as in her ignorance of the details forced her to have faith in her recovery. Like the ignorance basically was faith, right? Maybe it's not a question of are they different or are they the same. Maybe one kind of informs the other. In the absence of any other outcome, you have complete faith of the one in front of you, Right? I find this very, like, mind-bending. So personally, while ignorance is not my preferred option, as I said, I want to know all the things, I can kind of also see how it's not only just blissful, right, not knowing. It, it might be hugely motivational, right? Not knowing what the full options are, both good and bad, not only gives you faith, I also wonder if it gives you freedom, so I'll give you an example of this. When the triples were born, they were put into a special care nursery, right? Not, not the NICU like I was all worried about, but just like the, this kid needs a bit of extra support thing. I don't know what that's called, special care, whatever. Amazingly, like none of them actually needed any real special care. It was more about establishing a feeding routine and making sure that everyone was thriving. And my daughter, Claire, the youngest, was a fighter from the get-go. And I, I should say she still is just a hell of an amazing woman. But of all the babies, she was the strongest. Probably also true <laughs> now. Anyway, so she was the strongest. And the hospital had this policy of babies being like in room with the mom from or the moms from the get-go. So the idea was like you gave birth to this kid and then this kid was with you, right? Like there was no putting them in a nursery for a day. It was, it was, it was like literally like trial by fire kind of thing. 
trial by poop, given that these are babies. But anyway, so in my case, it just wasn't possible for all of them to be in the room with me at the same time because they were in special care. And also they don't have rooms big enough for one mother and three babies. So the way it worked is I'd spend all day in the special care nursery with them. And then I would head back to my hospital room to sleep at night. But on, I think it was the second or the third night after giving birth to them, the nurse wheeled Claire into my room because Claire was strong enough to not need to be in special care overnight. And the nursing powers that be decided that I needed to get used to having these babies sooner rather than later. And actually I was pretty excited about this. Like I finally had a baby to hold and to feed and to spend time with. It's, it's really hard to leave your, your babies in a nursery. So I was excited, right? And the night started out totally fine. Like I fed her, I burped her, I put her down, like all like normal baby stuff, right? And shortly thereafter, I put myself to bed too, thinking along the lines of that old saying, like, you know, sleep when the baby sleeps or whatever. So I get into bed, I get cozy, and like within about an hour of closing my eyes, Claire decides to open her eyes and proceeds to attempt to blow out my eardrums with her crying and her screaming. She was vocal then, and she's vocal now, my Claire, <laughs> my gorgeous girl. So having very little experience of babies, I just, I did what I thought you're supposed to do, right? I picked her up and I changed her and then I fed her again and I rocked her and I sang to her. Mind you, I can't sing. So possibly that was the source of the screaming. You know, I gave her a little bit of a massage, whatever. And she'd be perfectly content and happy. And I'd go to put her down and straight away she'd start crying and screaming again and trying to communicate what was wrong or what she was unhappy about. Also, I think it's a major design fault that babies do not come with a freaking using manu user manual, but, you know. So this went on all night long with this teeny, tiny little girl. She, and she was tiny. She was about 2.3 kilos, which in the old money is about five pounds. So she was a tiny baby. And this kid screamed her head off pretty much all night. And... I, as her mom, well, I also wanted to scream my head off, but that's really not an option because screaming when the baby is screaming is probably not recommended parenting just quietly. So instead, <laughs> I cried while the baby screamed. And I just cried and cried and cried the whole night while simultaneously rocking her and singing and literally begging her to calm down. I was really, I just, I didn't know what to do. And remember that like a couple of days earlier, I'd given birth to three babies, right? And I was like, oh my God, I can't even handle one. How am I going to handle three, right? Now at some point in the, in the very wee hours of the morning, my baby girl finally dropped off back to sleep. She was probably tired from screaming. <laughs> and then I fell asleep as well. And, and to be honest, I think we were both just worn out at that point, you know? And of course, this being a hospital situation, like five minutes after I fall asleep, the nurse comes in to take my temperature and check my blood pressure. Because what is the deal with people in hospitals waking you up at stupid o'clock in the morning, five seconds after you fall asleep? But I don't know. So the nurse comes in and I'm obviously a wreck and she asked me how my night was. And I was honest. And I told her about the screaming, Claire, and the crying me pretty much and the long night spent pacing the room and begging this child and whatever and I'm pretty sure that as I told her the story I started crying again but this time I wasn't crying 
because the baby was crying. I was crying because I was, I felt so much shame that I was a failure as a mom on like night one. This did not bode well for the future, right? I was so full of shame and I was so tired. And I just remember crying, also an embarrassment. Like I suck at this motherhood thing, man. Like I cannot figure this shit out, you know? And it was just, oh man, it was just awful. So I'm crying and crying. And this nurse looks at me with zero sympathy and kind of laughs. And she goes, why don't you just press the call button? And I kind of looked at her and she goes, yeah, if you'd press the call button, then one of us would have come by and gotten her so that you can get some sleep. She's like, that, that's, that's what all the mums do here. That's what happens to all the babies here. By like 3 a.m., essentially the hallway is full of babies and cots while the mums get some sleep. Because, you know, once these kids are home, you're not going to be getting any real sleep. So, yeah, basically just you should have rung the bell and we would have taken her off your hands and you could have gotten some sleep. I looked at this woman like she came from the moon. I'm like, press the call button? What? What? I don't, what? Nobody told me that I could or I should press that freaking call button. Nobody told me I was even allowed to press the call button and ask for help. I literally had no idea that pressing the call button was an option. I thought that this whole trial by fire parenting hell night thing was required. I mean, the whole idea of sleeping in a room with your babies that you get used to it right what the hell would be the point of pressing the call button i mean that's like cheating what the hell no one told me i could press the call button i did not know it was an option like i thought you only press the call button if you're like having a heart attack or something oh my god to say i was pissed would be the understatement of the freaking year so i was like pissed and she kind of looks at me again and she's like, oh, honey, why didn't you just press the button? As if I'm an idiot, because apparently I am an idiot, because I didn't know you could press the button. And I said to her, I didn't know I could press the button. Like, I didn't know that was an option. And she honestly just like laughed at me. She checked on Claire and then she just like wandered out. Leaving me sitting there with myriad of emotions shame and embarrassment for having been a shit mother that night and shame and embarrassment for not realizing i could press the button and have a quiet night to myself i mean that whole night i was completely ignorant that help was just a button and a few steps away i was ignorant that i had other options i was ignorant as to what to do to solve the screaming baby problem but here's the thing that ignorance led to faith. Faith that I would be okay, that Claire would be okay, that the morning would come and we would survive it. There was no way we weren't going to survive that night, no matter how horrible it was going to be. So I was completely ignorant at the idea that I could get help, but I had complete faith that she and I were going to make it through that very, very long and awful night. I had complete faith we were going to be okay. This night sucked and I was, it was hell. But I had intense freedom 
to indulge myself or not, maybe not even indulge, but just to sit in that place, the place of this sucks beyond all belief, but I know we're going to be okay. Right. This kind of harkens back a little bit to the episode where I talked about um, making decisions and all figure it out. Right. I had complete faith that we were going to be okay. I, I, that's it. And so being ignorant of the fact that I could press a button to solve this problem gave me the freedom to have full faith that we were going to be okay. Whereas if I'd gone home, having pressed the button every night that I was there, would I have the faith that we would be okay without the button? Do you know what I mean? Like I would have gone home and in the middle of the night when I can't deal with my screaming baby, I don't know that I would have believed I could make it had I not had to make it through my ignorance of knowing I could press the button, right? After the nurse walked out of the room, I walked over to this little plastic bucket where my baby girl was in. And I remember looking down on this this gorgeous little thing. And, you know, she just had this like tiny little wisps of hair on her head. And I remember looking at her and being like, we did it, baby girl. We did it. You and me, we made it through hell night. We didn't even need any help. Just like all those other wussy, wimpy ass mothers out there in the hallway. We did it. And I seriously like fist pumped the air like, yes, me and this kid are legends. Night from hell. But the point is we are still standing or in her case, still lying in the cot. And instead of feeling that exhaustion, which was still there, but instead of just feeling I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I can't do this and I'm a shit mother it completely in that moment transformed to elation, absolute elation. My baby girl and I made it through that night and yeah, we were tired and we were war-torn and we were rough around the edges, but the point is that we made it because I was completely ignorant of the fact that I could press the button and yet I had complete faith that we were gonna make it through the night. So sometimes I wonder if not knowing stuff gives you the freedom to simply believe only in the best right and so whether or not you think that ignorance and faith are the same thing sometimes i think that all you need to get through the tough stuff in life be that a night with a screaming baby girl or a cancer diagnosis or something else that you are finding really really difficult maybe sometimes all you need is a little bit of ignorance and a little bit of faith, and maybe at the moment too, just a little bit of patience. And on that note, let me say, thank you again for listening. I hope you all have paciencia y fe. I'm sure you've all needed it this year, really, but I hope it's something you all have as well. May you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, and may you be at peace.